What's up, podcast? I'm super excited to share this interview I did with Laura Albanese, a general assignment sports reporter for Newsday Sports. We talk a lot about her favorite memories in sports writing and a lot more, so I hope you all enjoy it. What's going on, everybody? Dylan Manfrey on hand for the Sport Profile. I'm so excited to be joined by Newsday sports reporter and slightly business reporter, Laura Albanese. Um, how are you doing today? I'm doing okay, you know, hanging in. I'm in Queens, so I'm in the middle of all this right now. Yeah, no, really. So, you know, you said you would, you would be normally covering baseball right now. Um, does it feel weird, you know, now, like, being – um, you know, or like helping out the business desk, thinking you should be somewhere else? A little bit, you know, uh, there's, I still have that like reflex where if I'm home on a Saturday or Sunday, which generally I wouldn't be this mm. time of year where I want to turn on the game around like one o'clock and then realize that there's nothing there. Um, or just even like the little things, believe it or not, like updating like my roster and fantasy or keeping up with the news or in refreshing Twitter over and over and over again. Sure. Uh, even if it's not your job, it's it's kind of shocking to see how much baseball takes a part of your everyday life. Yeah. Um, and when it is your job, it, it really is just like everything is upended and it's it's super strange. Yeah, I'm sure. Um, what would be like, you know, a day, a, like a normal, normal day at the ballpark if you were to, you know, go? Like, what would be your day? What would, what would your day be like? All right, um, so let's, I guess, just take, like, an everyday weeknight game. Sure. Um, usually get there, like, three and a half, four hours. I like to get there about four hours before first pitch. Really? Um, yeah, because you want to get there a little bit earlier just in case to set, set up your stuff. <laughs> part of being, like, part of the New York sports media scene is, like, this perpetual fear that you're going to miss something at all oh, times. yeah. So I get there pretty early, and then um, the clubhouse generally opens three and a half hours prior. Mm-hmm. And we'll go in. Um, for a night game, depending on when your deadline is, you're going to want an early story um, mm-hmm. because the game isn't necessarily going to end in time to make it for a newspaper. Obviously, this is going to be different if you work for an online outlet, but we still yeah. have a product, so you can't have a huge hole in the paper. Um, mm-hmm. So you'll try, uh, you'll have an angle go in, you'll try to talk to players. Sometimes the players are there, and sometimes the players are absolutely not there, and um, you're, for lack of a better word, a little bit screwed, but you'll figure it out. <laughs> Um, so you do that um, for about an hour, an hour and change, and then you go to uh, the manager's press conference. Uh, you know, a question and answer depending on what's going on. There are days where nothing's going on really, and maybe you'll ask questions that have to do with a Sunday feature story or whatever early story that you're working on. And then there are other days where it's a madhouse. Really, um, you kind of you kind of take it as it comes. Yeah. Uh, and then after that, uh, it's batting practice time for about an hour and change you can pick off players off the field to talk to them you can't go on the field but as they go into the dugout um that's not always successful but every once in a while you'll get you'll get lucky and then uh you'll go up to right until until it's time for the game to start and you know in between all of this baseball is a weird game and Mm -hmm. especially if you're covering the Mets something weird is always happening um so you just got to stay on your on your toes and make sure you're not missing anything What's been like, can you describe a situation where like you've heard like some breaking news and it, everything's just been so blown out of proportion that like, oh my God, you have to like scramble to write a story and get it up as soon as possible? Oh my God. I'm I have sure like, there have been a lot of situations. Like that. I, just, I just got like flashbacks. Uh, I remember once, it was a couple of years ago, um, really late at night, it was post game. You know, everyone's 
at that point tired. It's midnight. Game's oh, over. Pretty much every, yeah, pretty much everything's done. And uh, Terry Collins is still the manager of the Mets. Mm-hmm. And press conference is over, and we're ready to go into the clubhouse to interview the players. And as he's getting up, he goes, oh, um, and Noah Syndergaard is going on the 15-day disabled list. Just and we're like, casually. what? I'm like, wait, wait what? <laughs> so we were all, I think, just flabbergasted because generally speaking, like we would have heard about that beforehand or we mm. would have gotten a chance to do that. Um, so there have definitely been times like that. Uh, there was a time, you know, they couldn't find Matt Harvey. That was that was one of those. Um, oh, and there was a time Mr. Met flipped off the fan. Oh, yeah, I remember that one. Yeah. I remember that <laughs> so, one. So that blew up real, real fast. And so you're writing a normal, very serious game story on the one side. And on the other side, you're trying to, like, find out the, find the guy who, like, posted the spiral video and trying to figure out, you know, why Mr. Met flipped off the fan. Is, is it the same Mr. Met as the other Mr. Mets? And mm-hmm. I just remember being in the press box and someone calling me and be like, dude, I can't stop. Mr. Met just flipped off someone. I gotta go. Oh my God. <laughs> what was your immediate reaction when you like, when you heard that? Just like my day like just- Laughter, like maniacal laughter. Like you can't even make this stuff up. Do you believe it at first or no? I wouldn't. I did. I, you just see so much weird stuff mm-hmm. so often. I'm like, yeah, this checks out. Yeah, that's yeah. fine. Yeah, absolutely. Sure. You know, it's just like a normal day of a sports journalist, I guess. You want to say that, maybe? Yeah, it can get kind of crazy. Um, I have all these Mets stories because the Yankees tend to be a little bit more regulated, which I don't sure. think anybody. Sure. Um, but there's a few Knicks things as well here and there. Um, every once in a while, you get something crazy happen. I was there with, during the Charles Oakley thing. Oh, yeah? Uh, yeah, when, when, when that thing with Dolan happened, I saw him get arrested, and I was just like, well, forget my story. I'm writing this instead. How important is it to, like, be able to, like, you know, switch on the fly, you know, maybe and write a different story than what you ha- had originally gone into um, the game wanting to write? I, I have to say, um, it, it, I think, and people are going to disagree with me, I think it's probably the most important skill mm. you're going to have as a sports reporter. Um, just there's just so many things can go wrong, even more so in news, um, specifically because a lot of the stuff happens late at night and the yeah. deadlines are tighter um, and things change at a quicker pace. Uh, so if you're not adaptable, you're going to struggle a little bit, especially at first, um, because like you could be working on the story and you could really like it. You're like, oh, I love this turn of phrase and I love, I, I love how I narrated this or told this or these quotes and whatever. But if something bigger happens, you have, to, you have to be able to put your ego aside a little bit and say, Definitely. like, oh, let's go in the trash can. Let's start again. How, how have you been able to, like, you know, I guess improve on that? Because, like, it's not easy. Everybody says, like, deadline writing is, like, the hardest thing to do. Right. Um, practice. I know I, it sounds like – and the thing is with practice is that at first you have to fail a little bit. Of course. Um, so, you know, I try – in the beginning when I first started out, I started as a news reporter. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I got, I got shifted news and you know, there were some bumps and bruises along the way. Yeah. Um, but be, being a fast writer is really important. Being able to think on your feet. Um, and knowing that as long as the information is correct, the of recording course. sound, all that, it's not going to be perfect. Maybe the sentence that you wrote isn't necessarily the sentence that is like, oh my God, look at this incredible prose. But getting mm-hmm. it accurate and getting it done in time is more important than having it be 
absolutely the most beautiful thing that you've ever written. That said, if you can write something really beautiful, please, please do that. We don't need any more garbage in the world, but (laughs) get it done, you know? Have you ever like just made or just missed a deadline? Um, I, I have, I think I, I, I've been late on a deadline by a couple minutes, like two or three minutes. Okay. Um, is it the end of the world or no? It feels like it. I'm sure. <laughs> it, it feels like it. A couple minutes isn't so bad. They'll work with you. Um, as long as you're in touch with your desk mm-hmm. and you're like, Hey, listen, this and this and this happened. Yeah. I've definitely had situations where my laptop like broke. Really? I lost my charger, my laptop Ooh. charger, and had to write phone and had to write full stories on my cell phone. Mm. Um, that happened during um, we were just doing this thing at Newsday. We were like going around in our Zoom meeting, telling uh, each other about like the strangest games we ever covered. And I didn't have my laptop charger for Game Five of the 2015 World Series when the Mets got eliminated. So, so I wrote the first two stories on my cell phone. I have two cell phones. I was looking at the up stats on one writing the story on the other and between innings I had this HP laptop and nobody has an HP laptop and between innings everyone, I was going, everyone has Apple probably Apple everyone has Apple so I've been going I was going to everybody in the press box going can I please borrow your charger can I please borrow your charger for a couple minutes can I please borrow your charger for a couple minutes it's game five of the world series <laughs> right and like was I having a meltdown no but I think if I had to I would. keep doing that Anyway, it was a really good lesson. I finally found someone with an HP. Um, I now own a MacBook book because I am not an idiot and I've learned my lesson. <laughs> I've, I've always said Mac is where it's at. You know, I mean, I've had I've had something. I've had a MacBook for like seven years. I probably seven years. And then last year, which was my first year of college, I think it just broke in like October. School year started September, so I'm a freshman in college you know, all excited. Oh, no. And my laptop just crashes out of nowhere. It is not revivable. And then I oh. dropped 15 hunch on the one I'm Oh, the worst right feeling. It's so, just like, oh, the absolute worst feeling. I had I yeah. did the NHL all-star game and I, I unplugged my, my MacBook and that little part mm-hmm. just stayed in the outlet and I didn't oh. notice. So oh, again, wow. I was covering a major event without a charger. Oh my God. <laughs> so I also wrote that. Um, thankfully, that event ended early enough that I was able to type most of them on my phone. Sure. But then I had to go to the Apple store and drop $80 on Yeah. It, it must be hard like writing on your phone. Like I've, I've seen people do it and I'm just like, you are amazing. It's, it's not ideal. I learned how to do it a lot because I covered high school sports before I did mm-hmm. pro sports. Yeah. Um, and when you're doing a lot of high school sports, a lot of press boxes don't have outlets anyway. Yeah. Where to write. So, you know, you, you, that's one of the things you learn to adapt a lot when you're doing like Friday night football in the rain mm-hmm. like in Elmhurst or somewhere in the middle of Long Island. And you're like, all right, well, this is my life now. You know, type it on the phone. Yeah. Everybody says, you know, high school sports is like the hardest thing to cover. You know, they've compared, I've heard comparisons to that, to covering like the NBA finals is how accurate is that in like your experience? There is nothing as hard as covering a Friday night high school sports football game. Really? No, I mean, there might be like crazy situations where in pro sports, but you're taking your own stats the entire Mm -hmm. time. You can't miss anything. You're on the sideline. Deadlines are incredibly tight. A lot of places, times there's no places to write. For some reason, half of the ones I covered, it was always raining. 
So you're like taking notes under like a plastic bag. Oh. <laughs> so, um, so, you know, as much as covering pro sports has its difficulties, mm. it, there are also so many things that make it easier, including statisticians. Of course. Things that you can look up. Rosters, like with names and numbers. That's uh, fantastic. What a blessing. Remember a couple of games I covered where, you know, a couple of the players just decided to switch jerseys. So I'm looking at like number 15, thinking it's the number 15 that I know, but it is not. With, was this high school or? High school. Yeah. Oh my God. So it's just so like. Switch numbers on you. Yeah. And you have, if you're lucky enough to have a roster, suddenly you're like, wait, wait, I, this is supposed to be a running back. Why, what, why is he doing that? <laughs> oh God. Well, I mean, I feel like that would be a cool story in and of itself. I mean, I guess it's just, it's, it's lunacy. It's, uh, I, I compare it to like Thunderdome. It's like, really? there's, no, there's no laws in mm -hmm. high school sports. You just go out there and hope for the best. Yeah. Is there um, an, maybe like a high school event that you just really remember, like everything went right? Um, there, there was a few of them. Um, uh, you know, a lot of like the, the, the championships, like the Long mm -hmm. Island championships, that get held in Hofstra and Stony Brook are really, really well done. Mm -hmm. And when it's going really well, high school sports is so rewarding because there are so many good stories out there that nobody knows anything about. Really? Yeah. And, and kids are also, and when I say kids, you know, they're 17, 18 years yeah. old. They're not kids, kids. Um, they, some of them are just more open. They're more willing to talk to you. Understand. Um, they're not, you know, multimillionaires. A lot of them, I, a lot of them, you know, probably won't even play in college. Or, you know, this is the end for them. And they're trying to soak up every last bit of sports that they possibly can. Mm. And I just think those stories are awesome. I mean, there's no story I love more than, like, the underdog that comes out of nowhere and wins the game or makes a pivotal play. Um, and even though that does happen in pro sports, it's not going to be to the level as, like, the last guy on the roster. Yeah. You know, who's not playing – who's not even good enough to play, like, D3. Mm -hmm. Doing something. So yeah. I, I think that's pretty cool. Have you talked to, like, you know, some of the high schoolers – um, you know, who have had their seasons canceled because of this? I have, yeah. That was one of the things that I started out early. Uh, I was talking to one girl. Um, she played, um, like, travel softball. She was really, really good. Mm. Um, but because of, like, some financial hardship, she had to give it up. Travel costs a lot of money. Sure. And she had to work a couple jobs, so she couldn't play high school softball. And this oh. was her senior year. So after, like, three years of being out of, of, being out of softball completely, she finally had saved up enough money, paid off her card, done any, everything that she was finally going to get wow. to play softball one last time, and then this happened. Oh, so she wow. never got a chance to go back. And, I mean, she was pretty devastated because she'd been waiting years. Of course. Absolutely, yeah. And, you know, that just sucks. It sucks for these kids. I understand why it has to happen, but, Absolutely. man, it's awful. Yeah, no, I, I completely understand. Like, you know, I don't really cover, you know, high school sports anymore, but, like, even with college, you know, it's just so like, you just want to be there covering it and you want, and especially for the seniors, because now they have to go into a job market. They're completely uncertain about. Yeah. It's rough out there and it's going to be rougher. Yeah. So, I know. My heart out to these kids. Um, and even like the, the college kids, I know the NCAA has extended eligibility, but that's not going to yeah. work for everybody. No. You know, kids have I, jobs. Yeah. That's definitely something I've been talking about with some people, too. It's like, you know, on the surface level, it's like, great, extra year. But you also have to be a full-time student, which means you have to pay tuition, which means you have to do, right. you know, a bunch of other things. So are you really going to want to take that time for yourself um, to go back to school and maybe learn? Or 
do you just want to go into the job market? Yeah, I mean, it's I can't. It's it's going to be a lot of tough decisions. I agree. Even for like the kids who are coming in their first year, and suddenly, you know, they're going to have to fight for a spot where they thought, you know, that I'll, I'm going to go in and I'm going to play, or I'm going to get a chance to play in a year or two. But now you have juniors and seniors who are extending their eligibility. Mm. You know, there's going to be it's there's going to be limited spots. Hundred percent. So you said you were a general assignment sports sport. So is there a sport that you like to cover the most? Um, even though the days are super long, I do love baseball. Mm. I mean, you're not going to get out of a baseball day in, in less than 12 hours. Really? <laughs> yeah. Um, or if it's a rain delay or a double header, oh. Ugh, I once covered like an 18 hour day. It was the worst. Wow. Um, so, but I love baseball just because, um, it's, it's a long season. And so mm. you get really get a chance to get to know players a little bit more, but also be able to tell bigger and more interesting stories. Um, and because the game moves a little bit slower, you can really craft your stories a little sure. bit better. Um, sure. Fun. Um, I also love hockey. The mm. players are really nice and they're extremely down to earth, probably because they're mostly Canadian. So they're super polite. I, the stereotype is true. Um, and um, so, yeah, I, I would say those are my two favorites. Um, but I'll do anything, you know. Yeah, absolutely. I've covered polo. I've done gymnastics. I've done you've the done, rodeo. You've done water polo, you said? Uh, no, I've done like the horse polo. Oh. <laughs> so I actually spoke to somebody earlier, um, you know, for, for my log as well. He said he would, he would, you know, settle for competitive bocce ball. So is there a weird sport oh, that you would settle to cover? I, I've covered every weird sport. Um, let's see. I, like I said, I did, I did the rodeo, uh, which really? was weird. Yeah. Um, like full on, you know, on a bull sort of thing. Like, oh my God, this guy's going to die. <laughs> um, um, what have I done? Uh, gosh, they all start to melt together. I did the polo thing. I do horse racing, which I don't love, but I do mm. it. Um, Probably stinky. Yeah, man. Yeah. You get in the, that back stretch and you get like mud and it smells. <laughs> it's, it's rough. Jeez, what haven't I done? I've done riflery. Really? Uh, yeah. Eh, whatever. <laughs> uh, I, I bet if you if you name a sport, I've probably done something about it. I would really love to do cricket. That's one that really? I have not done yet. Um, that I want to, especially now that you know they've changed the format uh, mm. in the last I don't know decade or so. So the games don't last seventy six years, which is great. Yeah. Yeah. So did you play any sports like growing up? Like what got you into sports reporting that, you know, makes you so passionate about it? Uh, so I did not, I, I had like a really sheltered upbringing. So I did not play any sports growing up, mostly because I wasn't allowed to. Um, wow. And my school, uh, no, just my parents are Italian immigrants, extremely like, you're a girl, what are you doing? You know, okay. getting out there and, and, and getting all rough and tumble and everything else. Um, so I watched religiously on TV. Like mm -hmm. I would, I, I taught myself all the sports because no one in my family was really into them except for soccer. Sure. Um, so I would play as much as I at soccer as much as I could. And then when I finally got to high school and I thought I would have a little bit more of an opportunity, um, I went to Edward R. Murrow, which had no sports, mm. zero sports. <laughs> so I joined, I joined the school newspaper um, and I, I would just read the newspaper every single day. I would cut out sports clippings. Um, I would watch anything and everything I could get my hands on. I would read whatever I could religiously. 
Um, so, I mean, I, you know, I'm, I'm definitely not the jock version of the sports reporter because I lack hand-eye coordination and any coordination at all, but I really, really enjoy it. So even though your parents might not have, you know, supported you wanting to play sports, did, were they at least supportive of, you know, you wanting to go into journalism? Not, not not necessarily they weren't opposed to it necessarily they were more worried about me um especially when I was younger college age I was very quiet I know it's hard to imagine it but very quiet very meek very like um I I never was confrontational in any way and so the mm. idea that I would be a journalist where the stereotype is that you're extremely hard-nosed and you get into people's faces and you're going as a sports reporter, going into locker rooms and going toe to toe with like these gigantic athletes. Yeah, um, it, I definitely gave them pause, um, but I figured it out, you know. And I, and I did. I tend to. I think I carved my own niche in it. Sure. Um, yeah. I. I. You know. I. I like humanizing stories. I. I don't definitely. necessarily like jackhammer people for answers even though I do try to ask very difficult questions sure um you know I I think if you go and you treat people like people no matter who they are you know rich athletes or you know the last guy in the roster in a high school team uh, a lot of them will just respect that and treat you with the same amount of dignity of course uh, and so that's kind of my vibe and it worked out so far you definitely know, we'll what happens <laughs> yeah and hopefully we can you know both get back to doing that oh that would be great oh yeah of course who have been like your biggest supporters, you know, in your career? Like, did you have any mentors growing up or who gave you any feedback or inspiration? Uh, yeah, uh, my, uh, my professor in uh, Brooklyn College, uh, like I said, I started as a, as a news reporter just because I didn't see a lot of women doing this job and I didn't really even mm -hmm. think of it as like something that I could do and I don't know why. Um, I, I just, I was like, I'm a journalist. I write about news. That's what I do. Um, but my professor, uh, in college, Professor Paul Moses, he had actually won a Pulitzer for Newsday. Really? Um, yeah. And he helped me, he helped me craft my resume and my clip so I could get an internship there in the news desk. Um, and from there, uh, I would find myself gravitating to the sports section. Like whenever I had a free minute watching the baseball game, because the TVs are always on the sports section. Yeah. Um, and eventually when my internship ended, um, the editor, the sports editor there, Hank Winicki was like, Hey, you know, we have you have an opening in the part-time sports staff. You want to give that a shot to which I was like, yes, yes, absolutely. I would. Yeah. Um, so I mean, that was instrumental. Um, and then I had a number of people, uh, two of my best friends, uh, Lucky Namagasset, who is an editor at Bleacher Report, um, and Stephen Haynes, who uh, is a sports reporter for the Poughkeepsie Journal. Uh, they have just helped me along the way. You know, we send each other our articles, we critique, we don't hold anything back, we help each other. Um, and so we've kind of grown together. We've known each other since we were teenagers. We've kind of grown together through the years. Sure. Um, and uh, we're each other's best cheerleaders and best critics. Um, and we really, really bust each other's chops, which is the most important part of the friendship. Yeah. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw out a name to you, see if you know um, this individual. His name is Neil Best. Oh, yeah. Me and Neil text all the time. He, you know, he actually lives in my town. Oh, does he really? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, he's awesome. Yeah, I had met up with him probably a few years ago. I haven't seen him since. Um, but yeah, I definitely, I remember like, you know, meeting up with him and, you know, he likes to read some of my stuff sometimes. Um, I freelance for a paper in my town. So I would like show him my stuff sometimes. And I sent him the article that I had published in the New York Daily News. 
Um, so he was really, you know, happy to see that. And, but yeah, he lives in my town. Oh, he's awesome. Yeah. We, he's my coworker. Um, so we, we chat and we talk together all the time and he has a really dry sense of humor, which I enjoy. Yeah. And, he and Bob Glauber, our, uh, our football columnist like to rip mm -hmm. him a lot because Neil just takes it. He's so nice. Yeah. And, and Bob just makes fun of him relentlessly. It's a really great dynamic. Of course. I'm, <laughs> yeah. I'm sure. So, you know, you were talking about how, like how you got, you know, you know, your foot in the door with like the sports desk. So do you think like, you know, once all of this like blows over, because like there's like a, probably a wide scale hiring freeze, like anywhere, oh, do you yeah. think like publications um, are going to look for, you know, college journalists or like, you know, fresh graduates, um, you know, once all this blows over, hopefully? I mean, I would think so. There are certain places who had already started that even before this, mm. like, if you see that the way um, that the, the Daily News staff has turned over, uh, it's definitely skewed younger in recent years. Mm. Um, so, and I think that that's part of like one of the things that they're concentrating on. Uh, I don't know if Newsday will be so much that just because our staff is so established, but I can see, you know, with so many people getting furloughed and so many people getting laid off, eventually they're gonna have to refill these positions. Yeah. Um, and older labor tends to be more expensive <laughs> to, to put it bluntly. Um, so, so I can see them maybe skewing younger in terms of people who have, who are just kind of starting out because they can pay them a little bit more modestly. Whereas people who have been in this industry for 20 something years are going to be asked to be compensated a little bit more. Yeah. You know, the, the narrative, you know, put out there from, at least in my experience, from like the point you want to start is that, you know, journalism's dead, you know, the industry's going down the crap shoot. Still saying that, huh? they, said that, they said that when I was in college. Yeah, so there's, <laughs> they're still saying it. It's nothing yeah. you probably haven't heard of. So basically my question to you is, what are some of like the misconceptions about this industry? You know, it's hard to say because listen, I'm not gonna like lie to you and say that it's easy to get into this course. industry because it's 100% not. I've seen more people very talented extremely talented people fail to get their foot in the door than I have seen, you know, talented people actually get in. Mm. Um, that said, I think there are avenues. Um, I think if you're doing something a little bit out of the box, that's great and important. Um, but I think there is this misconception where all that hire, all people who are hiring want is out of the box ideas. They also want people who have really good journalistic fundamentals. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I, I saw a couple instances uh, in the past couple of years where younger people would come in and, and sure, they would be really great at social media and engagement and the things that a lot of people are looking for. But also they I saw one come into and cover Yankee game in a Yankee jersey. Oh, <laughs> yeah. So so, you know, that didn't last. Uh, he, he was an intern. And I, I remember just going, oh, my God. <laughs> Like, so journalistic fundamentals are still extremely important. Yeah, you don't do that. <laughs> oh, please don't do that. That's um, like, but that's like the worst case scenario. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, there's also other things like you know, be able to think on your feet, still be able to hit a deadline. Just because a lot of Definitely. stuff is going online, doesn't mean you want to wait like a day and a half, to, or even half a day to get breaking news up. Mm. You want that stuff up as quickly as possible and you want it to be accurate. Um, yeah. So as much as people are skewing the video, as much as there's an emphasis on that, uh, I, I do think that that's a misconception. I think you really need to look at the fundamentals and still consider them important. Of course.
Um, so was there like a moment in your career where you really felt like, you know, you've made it that you've, I guess, proven yourself and that you're a part of this industry? God, no, <laughs> not yet. Um, I don't know. I, I, yes and no. Like, I don't know if I, I consider my, I always viewed myself a little bit of, not say an outsider, but a little bit of an outsider just coming in, not having grown up playing sports. Mm-hmm. Um, when I first started, so I've been in the industry now 10 years. When I first started, the number of women in locker rooms was still actually pretty small. Like there were days I could go in somewhere and be the only woman there. And I'm really? like 21 years old and scared out of my mind. Yeah. <laughs> and, just, and just like, oh my God, oh my God. And that's definitely changed in recent years. Um, so I, I think that's helped me feel a lot more comfortable. Um, mm-hmm. And in the last couple of years, I've noticed people asking my opinion a little bit more in terms of like nobody's nobody really talks down to me anymore or tries to explain anything to me in terms mm-hmm. of how certain sports work as if I haven't been watching them for my entire yeah, life. Like, um, and I've gotten to do some TV things where, you know, people are actually looking at me as as somebody who has a valid opinion on things. Um, mm-hmm. And so it's just kind of nice because I've been working and studying and watching this stuff for basically as long as I can remember. Um, and so to be able to walk into a room and not immediately be thought thought of as someone who maybe knows a little bit less than everybody else is nice. Mm-hmm. Um, Definitely. Yeah, and not everybody's like that at all. I'm, I, I would never want to paint it with like this is huge misogynistic brush. Yeah. Um, but you're going to get the exceptions every once in a while. Um, and it's nice that that has happened at least to me less and less as the years have gone by. Well, that's good. So what, what would be like, what would you say is like the best part of your job and maybe like the hardest part of your job, if you could pick one? Um, I think the best part of the job is when you get to tell uh, a story um, in a way where the people that you interview really felt understood and heard. Mm-hmm. Um, and it doesn't even have to be like a big athlete or a huge story. Um, but I think so much of this is full of the everyday grind. Like you go in and you interview the players and you, and you look at the disabled or the injured list and you see what's going on and it, it can get a little bit monotonous. Sure. Um, but when you're talking to somebody and they open up to you and they trust you enough uh, to tell their story and then you do that, um, you know, the days after every once in a while I'll get an email and they'll be like, thank you so much. You know, that's, that's what I, I, that's what I meant. You know, I felt understood or I felt like you really conveyed that that's super important to me um that yeah that by far is the best I feel um yeah like athletes like send you emails like that it's honestly it's almost rarely athletes athletes will usually come up to you and be like oh that was good um but every once in a while you'll get um retired athletes you know and you'll tell their stories I'll get stuff like that or um just the slice of life future stories yeah um you know, when you, when you talk about sports that maybe have a little bit less exposure, uh, like mm. soccer or boxing or things like that, you're definitely going to get more feedback from athletes. And that's nice as well. Sure. Um, and I don't know. I just, I just think that that's the point of this. I mean, at the, at the end of the day, we have two jobs. One is to report the news and the other one is to tell good stories about human people. Um, and if, if your readers aren't connecting to that story, because just like A, B, and C happen and blah, 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 then what have, what have any of us actually accomplished? You yeah. know, it's going to go in one ear out the other. Um, and the other big accomplishment is when I get a really funny joke on Twitter and everybody replies to it. That's like huge for me. 
Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I mean, I'm on Twitter like all the time. Mm-hmm. It's like, hmm, my phone's blown up. This is kind of cool. I wonder if. Oh, yeah, yeah. Look, I feel great about this. <laughs> yeah. Um, and the hardest part, uh, hard, I mean, nobody ever wants to hear a sports reporter complain is the first thing that they tell you um, mm. because we have cool jobs. Um, the hardest part can be just how tiring um, doing a major league season, then following it up with a full basketball season mm. and following it up with a full hockey season. Yeah. Um, and doing those really, really long days and it's the grind. Of, yeah. Because I cover all the sports, the grind of it, it you can burn out and you can't, you can't really tell people that you're burning out because you're a second sports reporter. So just suck it up. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Have you ever experienced that burnout a little bit? Oh yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, You know, get your motivation back. Um, you know, everyone, even just taking a day off would be just huge. Uh, A lot of it is in this job because there are so few jobs and we're all just so desperate to keep them. Mm -hmm. Um, there can be a lot of hesitance of like, telling your bosses, Hey, I need to take a vacation day. I completely I, I, understand that. I need, I just, I, and when I first started, I would never do it. And now I'll take okay. a day here and there because it's just going to make me better because or else I'm going to go into a game and I'm going to miss something because I'm just so tired and I haven't eaten a meal that, you know, isn't like some weird fried thing from uh, like a stadium somewhere in like four days. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, and having been able to do that and kind of establish that balance has helped a lot. Do you um, travel with the teams too? Only, uh, it depends. Like I do travel, I, I travel with all the sports, but I don't do it regularly. Okay. So I'll do, I'll do like road games for like the Islanders and the Knicks, but I'm not on the road as regularly as the other, as the other beat reporters. Mm-hmm. So if the Mets are on the road, I'll be covering the Yankees at home or something like that. Sure. And so I'll just switch off. Yeah, um, that makes sense. But I'm, since I'm the backup for everybody, like if, if somebody has like a series they want to take off or whatever, I'll pack up and I'll go. Um, and it's usually somewhere like Detroit in the middle of winter. It's great. <laughs> you have all that snow. Just oh, no, it's great. It's so great. cold. It's so cold. Do you have any like interesting travel stories from um, your career? I don't know if they're interesting in so much as I have misadventures. Uh, that's one thing that uh, you get used to. It's it's like always planned for the worst possible thing to happen because you have to be in a certain place at a certain time. Yeah. So make sure you double and triple check your flights and check the weather and hope for the best. Um, you ever like leave something important um, at home that you like all, all the time. Like I can't even, <laughs> I can't, I've gotten better at packing, but it happens all the time, especially uh, during periods where you're traveling a lot more. You just mm-hmm. throw everything in a bag. And let's say you're home for a couple of days and then you're going somewhere else. You're just like, well, the bag's right there. I must have kept everything in that bag. I can just pick it up and go. No, you yeah. absolutely took something out that you needed. So when you were like first starting out, I guess, how were you able to um, build up the confidence to talk to, you know, these athletes who you've been watching on TV probably? Um, because I, I assume for people first starting out, even, you know, for myself still, um, it must be a little bit nerve wracking. Oh, I was terrified. I was, I was absolutely, t- well, the th- like, I was shy to begin with, mm. so to be shy to begin with, and then go in and just be like, oh, no, wait, that's right, my job is talking to people, crap, um, <laughs> it was hard, but um, it's, it's a lot easier now, like, I cannot tell you how much easier it is, like, I, I barely notice, yeah. um, but when I first started out, it involved a lot of preparation, 
Like I could know exactly what I wanted to ask and exactly how I was going to ask it. But unless I wrote down the questions and had it in my hand, even if I wasn't looking at it, the confidence of knowing, oh, it's all here. Yeah. Me. Did I look like a gigantic nerd? Absolutely. But I got the job done and that was the most important thing. Sure. Yeah. I mean, that's you know all you can ever want to do. Right. I mean, like I'm used to being a gigantic nerd. It's not that big of a deal. Is that, I guess, being a nerd, is that like one of your outside interests aside from sports? Oh, yeah. I just, <laughs> I just po- posted a picture on Twitter because uh, it's May the 4th. So I'm playing Animal Crossing because it's quarantine. Um, and I got Jedi robes for my Animal Crossing character. And I have Ewan McGregor's Obi-Wan Kenobi hanging up in my fake living room. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, it, it's it's pretty pathetic. But, you know, I own it. I really, I really, really have to. Yeah. You have to. Yeah, it's just whatever. <laughs> it's fun. It makes me happy. It doesn't matter. Yeah. Um, was it... Was it basic, was it hard, I guess, to maybe like ask, you know, somebody for like their email? Cause like everybody says like, you know, source. And the question is who are sources? I have this like running joke with like some of my other like mm-hmm. friends. I'm like, all right, when you see like Woj or like Chef there or like Jeff Pass and like, you know, put something on, they say like sources. I, I joke with my friends and I say, I'm like, all right, they all have a group chat and you know, yeah. the rules of a group chat nothing ever leaves the group chat right so and the group chat is called league sources (laughs) yeah the group chat is called league sources and everybody's just putting stuff in there and they're just being those three little guys who are just like all right we're gonna say everything that happens in this group chat and not say who said it all right i'm I'm gonna i'm gonna blow your mind here Uh, most of the time sources are like the pr guys who just yeah they're like the pr guys they're like just don't don't attribute it to me um, but, but also you have to look at, uh, who, who a lot of like the reporters who are breaking news are reporting for. If you're reporting and you're, and you write for NFL.com, mm. league sources are big wigs from the NFL because it behooves them to give you the information first, especially mm-hmm. if the information is going to get out anyway. Um, so yeah, a lot of sources, I, I, it changes and it develops the more you cover a certain team. Um, you definitely get to know players more, but sources pr people are huge agents are huge mm-hmm. um and with both of them it's the same caveat uh they both have an agenda yeah so, so you know you have to be careful in terms of what sources you decide to use and what sources you don't use because an agent's going to want to make his client look good a pr person is going to want to make sure the team doesn't look bad um mm-hmm. if it's like little stuff like an injury but you know don't attribute it to me that's one thing um, but if it's bigger stuff that throws somebody else under the bus, you're going to want multiple. And that's when you get more into, all right, who do I know that works with the league that I have a good relationship with? What scouts do I know if it's like a certain player or a certain situation, retired players or retired um, personnel that you have a good relationship with? Mm-hmm. And that's where it kind of branches out. But in terms of the, like the daily, really mundane sourced information, it's generally not mind-blowing, like where it comes from. Yeah. You know, you said you were shy at first a little bit. Was it hard to, like, you know, strike up those conversations with them and really build those relationships? Yeah, oh, yeah. So, I mean, I'm still working on it. I, yeah. I, especially since I don't cover one team all the time. Yeah, uh, you're not there a lot. Yeah, so I'll be there, but I'm never going to be, like, the person who's been there for all 162 games. Yeah. You know, maybe I'll do 60 games for one team and 60 games for another team. Mm-hmm. Um, 
so it, it's a work in progress. It's, it's really just being there and showing yourself and, and kind of and, and basically showing people that you're not a jerk goes a really long way. Um, and my, my professor told me this once, like, you'd be surprised how much, how far not being a jerk will get you. Yeah. It's like the lowest really? possible bar, but <laughs> so many people like refuse to even meet it. Um, so, you know, if, if you kind of aspire towards that and maybe even try being a little bit nice, it's shocking. It's just yeah. shocking how much stuff opens up. So the reason why I guess I started this board profile, I want to get to know um, journalists, broadcasters, like behind the screen, behind the byline. So what's something that about you that no one really, no one really knows or not many people know by just, I guess, seeing your byline? I mean, um, you know, I, I think we mentioned before that I, there's this like kind of misconception that, well, I must have grown up playing sports or I must have been a little bit of a jock because why else, why else would I be doing this? Mm. Um, but that's certainly not it. Um, you know, I, I, I tend to the human toward the humanities. Um, I'm a, I used to be a, like a visual artist and paint a lot and do a lot of really? things. Yeah. And, and even, I even used to write fiction a lot. And so I think I kind of try to use kind of the more creative side of my brain sure. to weave stories a little bit more because even though, you know, I'm not painting a lot now or I'm not writing a novel now, that part of your brain still exists and it still wants to be used. Definitely. Um, so that's a big part of my motivation uh, in terms of the way that I structure stories and novels and everything else, because just because you're not using a certain skill doesn't mean you can't translate it. Definitely. Um, you know, and, and we're just, you know, the sports department in newspapers called the toy, the toy shop or the toy <laughs> store, because it's like all the stuff that doesn't matter. But the truth is that sports kinds of, kind of tells like, it's a way to tell a bigger story because it's still people playing out these huge dramas, these highs and lows right in front of you. Um, and yeah. that's kind of just what we do in everyday life. And so you want to take that and you want to translate that to, into your sports stories. So yeah, everything's a stinking painting. Everything's a novel. Um, and that's probably way more genuine sounding than anyone who reads my Twitter would ever assume I would be. Uh, <laughs> and I'll never do it again. <laughs> no, I mean, it, it's, I definitely understand it, you know, and it makes perfect sense too, you know, because it's like, you know, you always love to paint, but now you're painting these stories, if you will. Yeah, sort of. Like I said, Get that I, analogy. I, it's, it's, that's one thing. I'm extremely, um, I can be very sarcastic and kind of just like cynical sounding. Yeah. So I think anytime I get too genuine, I'm like, but you know, let's not go too far. I'm sort of the same way, you yeah. know, sometimes definitely, it's definitely a mix of both. Yeah. Um, I see that in, you know, my reporting sometimes definitely when I'm interviewing athletes who are like, I have a class with because you already have that relationship with them. Right. Um, you know, so it's like, you know, you'll be asking them like a question about like a game where you just got like blown out, but it's like, Hey, did you do that homework? Yeah, you, just, know. you know, we're still human. We still have the same worries. And I think that when you when you get to tap into that, that's when some of the best stories actually come out. Yeah, I was going to ask, um, do you, is, there a, um, is there a story where that you're really proud of that you really, um, I guess, maybe consider one of your favorites? Um, there's a few. Uh, one of the things with me is I have a really bad memory for the things I've covered. <laughs> It's real. Like people will be like, "Oh, remember when this is this?" I'm like, "I wasn't there." And they're like, "Yeah, you were. You were sitting next to me." I was like, "Oh no." Um, <laughs> I really liked um, the Susan Waldman story. So I wrote the story last year. We all know Susan Waldman. We've all listened to her. Um, and you know, she has people who love her, and she has people who don't really like her very much. 
Mm. Um, and my editor was like, eh, why don't you catch up with Susan Waldman? It was like, it's, it's Women's History Month. Go talk to Susan Waldman. <laughs> but I was like, well, all right, fine. Um, so I called her up and we have a good relationship and I've always found her to be really helpful and really sweet. And then we started talking um, and I asked her a little bit about like what she was doing um, and how she kind of got into the business and, and just questions that I thought, you know, people wouldn't know about already. And she told me some of like the worst horror stories and some so much that she had to go oh. through. Um, like people were mailing like used toilet paper and condoms to her at WFAN. She got death threats. Like she was followed home. Oh. Like it was really, really bad. Um, oh. Yeah. And so I'm, I'm talking to her and I'm just like, I'm flabbergasted because I've known her for yeah. years. And I've heard her for way longer than that. I didn't know her well, but enough to be like, wait, what? This is happening? Yeah. And so I was able to write yeah. that story. Um, and I was able to put it out there. And I, I, I tweeted it out that night. And, you know, I just tweeted it out. It was like a Sunday night. It wasn't working. And I didn't really check my phone. And then when I did, I was like, blowing up. What's going on? And it wasn't a story that anyone had ever really heard of or known about. Yeah. And the, that's what I was kind of talking about before when, when people kind of trust you with something and you, and you want to do, do right by it. Absolutely. Um, and I love the, respo the response because people were like, wow, I can't imagine what she went through. I appreciate her so much and blah, blah, blah. And for a woman who's been through so much garbage mm. to have just like that, a number, like hundreds of people be like, wow you know you're incredible thank you so much or it, that was such a nice feeling on my side because i'm like oh maybe maybe i helped make things a little bit less sucky and that's mm -hmm. awesome you know and so i was proud of that i i was proud of the fact not that i did anything but that i was able to tell her story for everything that she was able to do yeah i definitely understand that and you know it's i'm sure it's such a good feeling to you know get that reaction on something that you've done yeah, and the story meant a lot to me. Like I, I wrote it, and and, and you know, like when you when you get told like, oh, write a women's history story. I'm like, fine, yeah. You want the woman to write a women's history story? I got it. Mm. Um, but but then when you do it, and you're just like, there's so much here. You know, I, I shouldn't just. I, I, I there's so much more than you expect if you just dig a little bit deeper. Um, and I kind of yeah. have to check myself with that, and and I'm glad I did because she was just incredible. I'm and sure. You know, do you like frame? You ever framed any of your stories? No, I don't even. I don't even have them. I, I. The one thing my mom has framed is my first story that I ever read, wrote for the Daily News, and she has oh. somewhere. Yeah. Um. But I, I used to keep my newspapers and everything, but I, it's just too much clutter. Mm -hmm. So I ended up throwing them out, and I'm not terribly sentimental. Uh, so all that adds up to the fact that I don't have any of my stories. Uh, and I don't remember most of them. So. <laughs> yeah, no, I get it. I have, I have mine like a giant pile that yeah. needs to be organized. It, Will it, it be? be? I don't know. It gets to be a lot. Like, what do you do with it? Yeah, all? I know. I know. <laughs> but anyway, I really appreciate your time with this. It means the world to me. I am um, so excited to share your story. And again, thank you for taking the time for this and stay safe. Absolutely. You too. Take care. All right. Thank you. Thank you all so much for listening to this episode. It really, really means the world to me. Be sure to check out the feature story at thesportprofile.wordpress.com. I hope you all are continuing to stay safe. And please remember 
that we will get through this pandemic together.